Hey there, I'm Jasmine Jean, and welcome to Inside Intercom. This week, we're continuing our exploration of product platforms. This idea of opening up your product for partners and third-party developers to build on, helping grow their businesses and yours. We launched the Intercom App Store over a year ago, and as the Group Product Marketing Manager for Platform here at Intercom, I've loved seeing all the creative Intercom apps our partners have built. One of the most successful platforms we, and many others in the industry, look up to for inspiration is Slack. So I'm delighted to host Slack's Director of Platform Marketing, CC Stoolsmith, on the show today. When it comes to platform strategy, CC's experience is unparalleled, having worked at Box as part of their founding platform team, before later joining Slack in 2015 to found the platform marketing team there. She shares her advice on where to start when building a platform that benefits both you and your partners, how to encourage developers to build and grow your ecosystem, and how to measure your and your partner's success. If you enjoy the conversation, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes or grab the RSS feed in your player of choice. But now, let's get into the studio. Cece, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jasmine. So great to have you here. Yeah. Um, to start off, you've obviously been steeped in platform work for uh, since the start of your career. So to start off, could you tell us a little bit about what you've done so far in your journey and what it is about platforms that you love so much? Yeah, I definitely never saw myself getting into platforms. That's for sure. <laughs> so I'm happy to share. So I started my career at Box. It was really fun. I joined at around 200 people and essentially raised my hand to be a developer relations associate. Didn't even fully know what that was, but I saw someone doing it and was like, <laughs> I think I could do that. I like people enough. And they took a bet on me and let me do developer relations, even though I was an English and psych double major. And from that, I just got to do a ton of different really neat things with the Box platform. So I ran programs, I did product, um, and we grew a little mobile ecosystem into about a thousand apps. And after that, or during that, I was working with a couple of different investors and eventually started working with one and got a role as an associate, which is like, you're a young investor, basically working with a couple partners at Bessemer Venture Partners. But while I was there, I really focused on developer tools. So Bessemer has a pretty extensive developer roadmap. Um, they call their investment areas roadmaps or theses. And so I invested actually in NPM. If anyone's ever done front-end programming, is listening, you've used <laughs> NPM. It's not... It's not a non-for-profit company, actually. Um, <laughs> and then another company called Readme that does developer documentation. So really focus on developers while I was there. And then Slack opportunity came along and I just had to do it because Slack was also around 200 people just starting to think about platform and building it out. Um, and I joined to run platform marketing. And April Underwood, who became our head of product, was actually head of platform then. So I got hired by her got to work with her to launch the platform. And then we've just grown it like crazy since then. And now we have... I don't know what our public stat is right now. I think it's at least 450,000 weekly active developers. So wow. it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty amazing yeah. growth. <laughs> and platform marketing at Slack means developer marketing, partner marketing, and then getting customers to adopt mm. these products built in the platform, which I think is a really important part of that that can often get overlooked. So yeah. that's what I've done. It's been really, really fun. Nice. It sounds like there was something in kind of developer relations, platform marketing that really ignited your interest in it? Was it something specific? It's a great question. I think the thing I like most about working on platforms is how complex they are. So one, 
you get to deal with an API. It's not just some single product that's really obvious. It's it's technical. And I wasn't technical, so getting to do a job where I got to learn by delving into and understanding the product and then having to work to communicate a product that sometimes I couldn't even fully use to, uh, to the audience of the product was really fun. I also love that platforms are multiple-sided marketplaces because it keeps things fresh. Like there's always a new audience to be thinking about. If you think about the kind of marketing that I get to do, I get to think about how would this resonate for an individual who's building an integration for just their own company? How would this work for one of our largest partners, for some of the biggest enterprise companies in the world that we've all heard of? Um, And then how would this work for our customers? Like always getting to put on different audience hats is really, really fun. So if you're someone who likes to be stretched and gets bored easily at doing one thing, I think platform's actually a really good place because you're always turning over sort of a new lens. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Resonates as well as someone who also started a yeah. platform without much technical experience. So yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, obviously, Box and Slack, both strong platforms. Um, platform's kind of a hot topic, right? <laughs> Everyone wants to be a platform at the moment. What makes companies like Box and Slack real platforms versus just products that have kind of great extensibility? And why do you think it's important to their business strategy to actually become a platform? Yeah, yeah, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, I think everyone likes to call themselves a platform, and I think platform is one of the most overused words. It (laughs) almost loses its meaning. I mean, you've been working in platform too, so like at a certain point, It's like, everyone's using this. Does it mean anything anymore? So I think it's important to figure out what the heck does platform mean and what is a platform and what is not. When I was in venture, you meet with, you know, at least 20 founders every week, talk about their products. If you weren't, you know, actively doing a single deal and you meet with these tiny companies and they'd be like, and we're the platform. It's like, no one knows even who you are. Like, how are you a platform yet? (laughs) Uh, So that is something I care about a lot. I think it's tricky. Not everyone can be a platform if The nature of platforms existing means that some products have to be built as extensions of the platform itself. I also have a thesis or theory, I wrote about it, that platforms beget platforms. So one of the good ways to identify what is a platform versus what isn't is to think about like what really is. So Windows, that was a massive platform, still is. iOS, Facebook, Salesforce, like those are true platforms. Bill Gates actually uh, defined a platform, and this is a pretty high bar. I don't think many people have met it, <laughs> as once the value of the stuff built on top of your platform in some surpasses the value of your product by itself, that's when it's a quote-unquote true platform. I think that's quite a high bar, but it's what I like to strive for. The litmus test, I think, is if you've created a marketplace. Like, are people actually pursuing to build on your product because there's value that you've created to the platform there? Or is it just a a nifty integration? For instance, like you build on iOS because you know you're going to get users through it. Same for the other big ones that I talked about. But there is this other area, and I don't have a term for these kinds of tools. I think the easy term you could use is like developer tools. But there's like the Twilio's and the Stripes of the world. Those are big, amazing companies. Are they platforms? Like Stripe definitely has a marketplace. But I also know that Stripe is just a really useful product that I want to plug into my product that I'm building to help transact money. Like Twilio, I need it for text messages. So those are developer tools for sure. Are they platforms? I'm not sure. And then how you know you're not a platform, I think there's really just, is there any value in in integrating with your product? Or do you need to be doing all the integrations so that your customers get value versus having partners and developers wanting to come and build with you? Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it a little bit. 
Yeah, that makes yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, should companies all be trying to become platforms even because it's obviously fashionable <laughs> the, yeah. at the moment to do that? Do you think it actually there are times where it makes sense to actually pursue that and start trying to build that value, and times where it just simply doesn't, and you should just stay as a product? Yeah, I think there's. It's tricky because the answer should be yes. The reason why you'd want to pursue being a platform or having a platform is because it makes your value as a pro- as a company as a product that much greater. Mm-hmm. Like the upside of having this big two-sided marketplace and extending your product into tons of different products with an API is quite large. Probably <laughs> m- multiple like increases your products or your company's multiple in terms of valuation quite a bit to really have a platform. It makes yeah. you more useful. I think for what we were doing at the time with Box, we did a lot of the right things. We were very, it was an interesting moment in time when I was at Box working on platform because we were focused on building out a mobile ecosystem. And now it's sort of like, yeah, obviously the people who own the mobile ecosystem are Android and iOS, but it was brilliant of Levy and it helped us get to know an industry really well. It was sort of the hot moment for mobile. So if you think back to 2011, 2012, 2013, mobile was exciting and new. Like it wasn't the way it is now where it's just sort of normal. So all these companies were coming out and there was big venture money in them. At that time, Slack came out actually and Hall and Kotap, those are all messaging apps. There was this big calendaring app, like sort of, Spray, it was a sunrise calendar and tempo calendar, and there were some AI calendars. Um, and then mailbox was also like the hotness. Do you remember being on the mailbox wait list and being like, what am I gonna get mailbox? <laughs> yeah. So I was really focused on winning over these mobile productivity apps. And it was a really fun, we had a lot of different little plays that we did that were good. I do think I would focus more on figuring out how to drive adoption. And for box, we were going so big in enterprise, I'd probably partner more deeply with a sales org if I did it again, to figure out how to bake the mobile apps we were winning over into those deals. Like, that was probably the biggest thing we could have done. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I know the kind of driving adoption piece that, you know, you mentioned the flywheel earlier, there's like driving adoption and cut with customers and then actually driving, you know, your developer community. Yeah. How do you think about the how those weigh against each other in terms of priorities when you're starting out? If you're going for bare bones version... If there's customer adoption, developers generally will come. Like, they have to be aware of something existing. But a lot of the time, what developers are looking for through your product is distribution, if this, if it's this kind of platform that we're talking about. So if you have to do just one thing, it's like, make sure that it's doable for developers. Your API can't be so horrible and horrendous that they can't build with it. So it has to be, like, easy enough to use or simple enough to use and clear enough to use. But after that, if you have adoption, generally, you're not going to be resisted. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? <laughs> You've been through this. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's something when we started our platform here at Intercom, we kind of, we've always balanced like both at yeah. the same time. But I feel like we've focused on one more at some times mm-hmm. and then switched to the other and it kind of got, has gone back and forth a mm-hmm. little bit. But mm-hmm. I agree, without without the adoption, people aren't going to build because there's nothing to build for. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of just community for the sake of community. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, here to do a job. So, <laughs> so I think that there's that, that adoption piece is the value behind all of it. And then community can get built off of that super well. And we're building out our developer community now. And I love watching developer communities yeah. come together because there's just such fun common ground. And it's fun that you can actually physical events all the time. Love it. Yeah. All about it. 
Yeah, it's fu- fun to kind of get in front of those people as well and actually engage with them yeah. rather than just via your app team or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because I think that's one of our other principles we really bring to bear at Slack a lot, uh, which is just thinking about customers, developers, anyone that we work with as real humans. And mm. so it's fun when you do community stuff because you get to really be around them. Be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, thank you. It's because of you that we're able to do the jobs we're doing. And we hopefully are adding value to you too. So I love doing that. Yeah. It's very fun. You said you're just starting out on kind of like building that out more now. So scaling it, yeah. What are what were the first kind of things you mentioned adoption, obviously, when you joined Slack? Mm-hmm. What were the other things you did to kind of start getting the platform off the ground? Yeah. So I got to go through a really fun platform journey. So when I first joined, we actually didn't have APIs that worked for third-party developers very well. So we had to like essentially take the API and turn it inside out like it was a sweater. But <laughs> it's a technical sweater, so that took a while. So I joined, and then we just did this big event, figure out how to like set the uh, APIs up so that third parties could use them and like sort of got those out one by one. And then we created the marketplace, so that was like a place to have your app listed so that you're like, oh, that could be a valuable place to be found as a developer, and then a place to find apps as a customer. And then the third thing was we actually created the Slack fund and mm-hmm. that was just really with the focus of investing in this ecosystem that we thought would be really successful. And that's gone really well. We've made a lot of investments. We have someone full-time who actually does the job of making investments from the Slack fund, which shows a lot of commitment to that. A lot of companies have, quote-unquote, like, we have a fund. And no one manages it, and they do two investments to start, and then they never pay attention to it ever again. Mm. But we really have one, and we invest out of it, which is really cool. The second thing that I, so when I first started, it was like, create a launch strategy, create the story of our platform, why we have it. Some of those pieces we did early on are still some of my favorite work I've done at Slack, outside of, like, hiring the team that I've hired, because I love them, and they're the best people ever. But creating that story was really fun. I actually got to put out this blog post right after the launch about that Bill Gates quote that I told you about. <laughs> yeah. It was like, if you all win, then we win. So we're here to help you win. And that was a, it was cool to see that resonate in the community. From there, it was driving adoption, like I mentioned, making life easier for developers. So figuring out how can we make our APIs more usable, create different things that would scaffold these APIs so that people can use them, copy paste, have them be done. And then on the product marketing side, what was fun is thinking about how do we product market APIs? How do we product market developer products? Because usually, and you do this a good bit too, usually you're thinking about how do I get a customer to adopt this and like click this button now more often. Mm -hmm. But it's really fun to product market something where it's like, here are all the stuff you could build with this. And so since I joined, we've been just opening up different parts of our UI, so different parts of our product to give developers access. So like on a message when you hover over it in Slack, hopefully people have used Slack listening to this, we opened up, basically there's like a, a three-dot button where there's more options. So you can take an action on a message, which means if I want to send a message to Jira, I could do that if I have the Jira app installed. Like there are all these different things that we've been exposing in our product to give developers more access to our customers and to make their products more useful for our shared customers. So it's been really fun just figuring out how do I product market that really simply. Like enterprise product marketing You have to think about, what does the CIO care about? Like, what is the itch they need to scratch? And often it's about security and fear. And with developer product marketing, it's, how do I sound the least like a marketer possible? (laughs) And I've never really seen myself as a marketer, so that's what's been fun in this role and working with the team that we've built to do this. We're kind of like marketers who love being marketers, but 
don't want to sound at all quote unquote marketing-y. So we really have, have worked to create a style uh, that we do, we use that's straightforward to the point, but kind as well. Mm. It has that little bit of slack playfulness and that's been really fun. And then the last thing, if I was going to bucket all the stuff we've done, is figuring out which big partners to go to market with and how. So we've had a lot of fortune, I guess, in terms of and this is like the BD team, not me, in terms of landing really big partnerships for Slack. But when you think about an ecosystem, the way I always look at this is it's not like this huge school of fish. And there are some fish that are really, really big. And then there are some fish who are really small and you're sort of a middle fish. And when you partner with one of the big ones, you need to figure out like, when I come up with a really big partner, what is that going to communicate to the market? Because mm. they have a very significant brand and they have an audience. And when you partner with that brand and that audience, it rubs off on you. Like, what are they trying to get from my brand when, when we do this partnership and from a marketing point of view? And this actually does impact your platform. Like the smaller fish or smaller partners will see the big partnerships that you're doing and react to them in different ways. For instance, if there's a partner that does the same thing as some of your smaller partners are your, are your you know, more up and coming partners. I don't mean to say smaller to sound derogatory at all. They're wonderful. They like make and break the platform. You need to figure out like, how do we not step on toes? How do we like, create this is the worst word, separate swim lanes, but we're using a fish analogy here, so <laughs> it works out great. Um, <laughs> and then how do I get what we want for the company from a marketing point of view out of those big partnerships, especially around the PR that comes out and like the blogs that you're going to write and those pieces? It's hard. It's nuanced. It's more like a comms job. Again, that's, I think, what makes this role so fun because there's so many different elements, and that one is a particularly you have to really like grab onto the brand pieces and be like, yeah. okay, this this company plays really well in these channels. We're going to go hang out in those channels with them. That's different for us. Like, we yeah. need to watch out for these pieces because that will not reflect well. So, Yeah, I find working with partners is uh, interesting. There's always, like, slightly different dynamics depending on, like, yeah. Well, who's who's the bigger partner in in this relationship, and like, what does everyone want, as you said, mm -hmm. from from the relationship, and how how should we go about like building our marketing plans together and things? It's always interesting. Like, I find when you're working with a new partner, that initial conversation is always an in, an interesting conversation where you're kind of like figuring those pieces out together and like getting a feel for how everyone's yeah. thinking about things. Exactly. <laughs> There's so much feeling out the like, all right. Are we going to be really friendly? It's going to be a little tense. <laughs> yeah, that's we're, we've been really fortunate to have a lot of really amazing partners along the way with us. And that's happened fast. We got a lot of big partners really fast. Um, and I've had a lot of partners like Intercom who are just lovely and wonderful to work with. <laughs> the you. best is when you work with a partner company and you just jive right away. And you're like, yeah. oh, this is going to be sweet. Like, we're all just <laughs> going to have so much fun. We'll bring a really cool thing to market. That's like the magic. Yeah, I love when that happens. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode two of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our chief product officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service. And that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, the 
earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type customer experience. It's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. How do you find, you know, you said you've, you've been lucky that some kind of bigger partners have, have worked with you uh, relatively early on. How do you find those partners? And then how, how is the approach different finding those kind of like up and coming or smaller partners yeah. you mentioned? It's just so different, like the amount of resource you need. Mm. I mean, when you're working with really, really big teams, when the companies are hundreds of thousands of people large or tens of thousands of people large, just navigating their company is hard. Mm. Like getting certain decisions made need to go up a chain and down a chain and you have to do some CEO to CEO stuff and then you have to come back down and work on the logistics and sometimes it can fall through at the last minute because someone decides, no, like this is against our department's thing. So just the... You, the people power you need to manage those big partnerships can be very, very different. And that's, we have an amazing BD team. And again, like, I don't attribute the success on that to me at all. Um, but our BD team has done a ton to manage those relationships. I think the biggest thing with the more up and coming partners, and this is so part of why I, I left investing, and I'm still angel investing now, but why I left that and came to Slack was when you're, when you're an investor and you're dealing, you're working with founders all day, and you like working with founders, and most of them do, you have to figure out how to say no all day. <laughs> like, literally, it's just like, cool, I think your company is really great and interesting, but I'm not going to put money in it. So, mm. no. And the nice thing about being a platform is it's pretty much yes, unless they're malicious or, like, doing something bad. It's like, yes, work with us. And if you do well enough, you'll be really successful, and I'm going to help you how I can. So I think that's my biggest thing with small up-and-coming companies or startups working on a platform it's just really fun to figure out how can we equip, like how can I be helpful? And it's been neat to see a couple of the companies built on Slack that are doing pretty darn well and have have been successful. And I think it's important to note, I don't think any one company can be built only on a single platform and be super duper successful. Like usually they have to diversify to other platforms and have other things. And most of our really successful built on Slack companies are diversified across a couple of different platforms. I'm a big believer in creating just resources. So one of the first things I did, and this was in partnership with BD, but I created this content that was like how to launch your app, how to product market your app. Because when you're a startup, and you, especially if you're not, if you're a technical founding team, you often don't know how to do those soft skill things. So just giving people like, here's how you do marketing. Like, here's how you do a launch. Here's how you do like pushing this to customers or customer relationships can be super duper helpful. Um, it's really simple. It is lower touch with smaller partners generally, but we tend to try. One of the things by our head of product, who was also the head of platform before that, seems to be a trend, um, <laughs> at Box would say is like, we're, just, we're always going to take a conversation. Like we're always going to be there. And we'll be human. I think that's something else we do. Um, we try to do really hard at Slack. And our woman who runs our scale partner program, her name is Tessa. She's incredible and does a really great job with that. Mm. Has built mm. out a team for that too. Yeah, I mean, on on success, obviously we've talked about, you know, your partner success is your success. Yeah. But how do you actually measure success? Because I know this is something we've struggled with at Intercom and other people I've worked on at platforms at different companies also find it difficult, like... How do you actually measure the platform? So how do you think about that Slack? And are there specific metrics that you found helpful? Yes. I'll just start with the anti-answer. <laughs> Not tokens. 
Nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> so many companies put out like, we've had one million t- developer tokens like accessed or generated. It's like, that means nothing. That's a meaningless <laughs> metric. Um, I could go click generate token all day long and generate <laughs> 300. Yeah, I'm pretty passionate about figuring out success metrics. They're also hard. At Box, yeah. they were a lot easier in many ways because Box, as a product, you know, you store files, you share them, you comment on them, but it had less pieces of the puzzle, I guess. Slack is a more complex product in that there are so many things you can do with it. Mm. So um, I'm going to get to what the actual metrics are, but I'm going to tell stories first. Um, <laughs> so, for instance, there are a number of apps that just send information into Slack. They're called notification apps. For instance, there's a Twitter one that just sends you a tweet if you sign up to subscribe to someone's tweets mm. and it sends them into Slack. It's a really basic integration. Is using that integration valuable to customers? Yes and no. So there are certain channels that were set up a long time ago. You have to then do the marketing to launch those things, and then you have to watch and try to get that adoption to happen. Mm. So it's a slower metric to track. After that, I think active developers is a really helpful number to watch. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we track our active developers. It's how many developers are hitting our API every week, and we try... Pretty, we're really, really careful about not having vanity metrics, which is fun at Slack. So that's where it's like, just forget about tokens. Like tokens gotten is a nice metric and it can tell you something, but people just generate a token all the time just to test something out and then never use it. Hmm. Often if you're thinking about ecosystem and you know who all the players are in your ecosystem that you're trying to make an impact on, you can basically map them, build a big spreadsheet, build an air table, build a notion, whatever you want. Um, or Salesforce, if you want to use a CRM, like a heavy CRM to track everyone. And you can basically categorize your partners. So if you're looking at Slack, it'd be like, okay, let's look at the files partners. Let's look at the calls partners. Let's look at the productivity partners. And then say how big they are, how small they are, and how many of them in the category you've mm-hmm. won over. So that's something that is uh, easy to track and fun to track. And then a final one that is really important and is related to that adoption piece and somewhat related to that story I was telling about notification apps is quality of apps. So whenever you have a marketplace, you're probably going to have at least someone or a team testing those products to get onto your app store, even though app store is trademarked by Apple. So you have to say app directory or app marketplace. (laughs) Thanks, Apple. Um, So that team will have a really good sense of like, are these apps good or are they not? A really great story of this is like early day iOS versus Google Play stores. Yeah. iOS was head and shoulders <laughs> above, like ridiculous head and shoulders above. And that was just because the quality of their apps was so much better. They were much more rigorous. Google was trying to keep pace with them in terms of the size of their app store. And they would just let anything on. Again, as I mentioned, this was my job back in 2011, <laughs> 2012, 2013. I would literally go on the app stores and test all these things. And there were so many this is probably not the case anymore, like not trying to offend Google. But back then, there were just so many weird apps that were very sketchy and felt very not secure yeah. on the Google Play Store that just made it through um, and didn't really work. So the quality of your apps, if you say like, okay, the app uses this set of APIs, we know those are like a better engagement for a customer. That's a good way to just make it a really simple metric. Again, harder one though, overall to track. Yeah, I mean, I think that customer trust Mm -hmm. in your apps is so key because if they use some of those apps and it does something sketchy or whatever it might be or just doesn't work and it's buggy then they lose faith in your your ecosystem as well exactly like you're done yeah that doesn't work yeah 
Obviously, Slack, you've got many, many partners and developers in the platform now. And you mentioned earlier how like with the smaller partners, kind of lower touch, how do you keep kind of maintaining the relationships and keep those partners engaged with you as you grow and have have such a huge scale in your platform? Yeah, well, it's been extra interesting because we're one of our big developer audiences actually isn't third-party developers, they're customer developers. So like if someone at Intercom was building a special integration for just the Intercom team to use, that's actually, that's a huge number of our developers. Um, And that's just happened on its own, but we're focused on them and we're focused on our third-party partners, big and small. And they do a lot of these pieces with the communities. The developer relations is split into a bunch of different groups. So they work with our communities. So they're sort of like, at the meetups being the face, but they also build really nice developer tools and SDKs so that all the APIs that our core engineering team is building can be used by all different, in all different types of languages. And then um, we also have a partner engineering team for partners where just like the path to integration is not super clear. Mm -hmm. So they come in and they consult and talk about how can we build this really well. Um, They help debug and think through how an integration is working or not working. So we at Slack put a fair amount of resource behind that. I think that if you're smaller and need to bootstrap, one person can wear a lot of those hats. I think you, if you're going to do a platform, you need to have at least one person thinking about partnerships. Yeah. Like yeah. that is the minimum because if you don't have that, you just build a marketplace and like, why would anyone ever come? You need to have at least one bigger name in the marketplace to be like, oh, they're there. Like that's something I need to go do. And that that requires a partner manager to get it there. However you want to call them, developer relations, partner management, whatever. Um, and the last thing is just events are huge. I That's one of my favorite things about this kind of marketing is that like there's, you can't avoid people. Like <laughs> developers end up liking going to stuff. And I, I love that you get to meet each other and have real relationships. It's not just purely digital and they're not like a user that you're like watching them click different buttons and hoping they react a certain way. Like they're a person who has built their API and is annoyed about this thing not working <laughs> because it's blocking them. Like that's a big deal. So the relationship piece is so real. Events are a pretty tried and true playbook. I don't think I'd say like you have to go to every hackathon. Like that was definitely a playbook that has been played and, and can be useful too. Um, but putting on your own events or partnering with companies, I think, I don't know if we've done stuff with you guys when we go to Dublin, but when we go to different cities around the globe, we partner with different local companies to mm. to meet the developer community there. And that works really, really well. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Related to that, I know you're quite involved with the developer program Heavy Bit. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about, about yeah. Heavybit? Well, Heavybit is super cool because um, it's the ex-Heroku team, or not ex, but like original early Heroku team. And they've created this developer accelerator and incubator. And they do a ton to provide resources for their developer-focused products uh, and companies that are in-house. So they bring in different speakers. They have a pretty excellent speaker series lineup. Um, they also have really neat office hours so that if you're involved in the Heavybit program, you can talk to tons of different types of people. I've done office hours there. I often talk with people about marketing or how to create their marketplace and things like that. But when I was in venture, like the partner I would work for would also hold office hours and go and meet with people about how to raise funds and what does that look like? What should they be thinking about? So they bring in different types of advisors all the time. It's in a really neat co-working space and the people who run it are wonderful. Dana uh, Oshiro in particular is just a wealth of knowledge and has done a great job of creating a space where companies focus on developers, uh, whether that's with a developer product or 
uh, building a platform themselves have a really neat space to develop their product and figure out their go-to-market with like-minded companies because it can be a very different path. And also when you're building, especially when you're building a developer tool, we've been talking about marketplaces platform, like marketplace platforms more. When you're building a developer tool, you're often technical when you're building that type mm. of thing. You're like, I had this itch that I wanted to scratch. Now I'm scratching it with my product. So figuring out go-to-market can be different because you're often not from the quote-unquote go-to-market side of business. So I think HeavyBit provides that in spades. Yeah, that sounds like a really useful resource yeah. for those people. What are you most excited about for the future of Slack platform? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of the exciting things that are coming we've talked about already at Frontiers, our flagship customer event. So a couple things of note. I mean, one, we have a huge developer conference in October, which I'm super excited for. It's called Spec, actually. The last one we had, it was May last year. My daughter was born on the morning of it. I, like, rallied for us. To, I was like, we need to have a developer conference. Let's do it. Like, push for it. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to do it four weeks before my due date. And then, ta-da, <laughs> had a baby day of the conference. Um, so it's also a special place in my heart for that reason. Um, we also have some really interesting new products that are coming. We announced them at Frontiers. So um, one is, is this thing we're calling Workflow Builder. It's essentially a no-code way to build simple, essentially ift or like Zapier apps on Slack that say when someone joins a channel, pop up this form for them to fill, but anyone could do it. Like you do not need to be technical to build them. Mm. That's going to be coming live in the next, I don't know when it's going to be live and it's in like a private beta sometime soon, I think. But when that comes out, I think that's going to be really, really interesting to see how many more people play around with the platform um, and what they can build because it'll make everyone a builder on our platform, essentially. We also have a bunch of new products that we talked about at Frontiers that essentially deepen Slack's integrations with the essential productivity suite. So that's email, calendar, calls, files. Those are the other products that you spend your whole day in. So watching those get more deeply integrated with Slack and seeing how our customers find those valuable is going to be really, really cool. I'm excited for that. It's also going to open up new behaviors for the platform that I think will eventually get opened up for developers. So I'm excited for that as well. Very cool. Excited to see that all yeah. come out. Yeah, lots to come. Yeah. <laughs> Busy times. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for your time today. If people want to catch up on your latest thinking or follow your work, where can they find you? <laughs> thank you. Um, I've been writing a little bit Hopefully, by the time this is out, I'll have posted a new blog post. It's hard to actually press publish. <laughs> it sits there in drafts. So I, I write on Medium. And my Twitter is CC Stalls. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jasmine. It's Thanks really so fun much. to join you. Yeah, it's been great speaking <laughs> yeah. with you. Same to you. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.